Merry Christmas. This morning, uh, let's open in prayer. Uh, Father, we thank you for the worship this morning. We, uh, Lord, we thank you for this time of year that it seems hearts are softer, people aren't quite as angry, and your love just seems to abound all the more. And Father, help us to capitalize on this time and this season in order to share your love, share the gospel, share what you've done. And Father, this morning, uh, for those listening and those here, Lord, soften the hearts that are here to hear the word that you have this morning. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. So I entitled the, the message this morning, uh, Keeping Christ in Christmas. I thought it was fitting. Uh, seems how we are starting the Christmas uh, season here. You can, all the really cool decorations, nice decorations. It would seem that, you know, keeping Christ central, keeping the Lord at the center of Christmas shouldn't be a big deal, should it, for us as Christians? I mean, it's what the season's all about, right? This is why we're here. This is who we are. We're all about Jesus, right? We walk with him. We, we talk with him. We love him. We serve him. We attend church. We attend catechism uh, on Wednesday nights at 7. A uh, little plug. We go to the Bible study. We're his ambassadors, right? That's who we're called to be. This is why we attend church. This is why we do all those things. This is why we support missions. Our whole purpose the reason we're even meeting together here today, right, is because of him, to glorify him, to serve him. So if anyone should be able to focus on the Lord at this time of the year, it should be us, right? But let's be honest for a moment. Let's, let's realize something. We're flesh. We are weak. Our biggest problem isn't the world out there that's in opposition to all that Christmas means. It's not corporate America that bans uh, Christ from the word Christmas or the town councils that don't allow the nativity scenes. Uh, the war on Christmas is not new. Our biggest problem isn't that. Our biggest problem is me. Our biggest problem is us. The biggest problem is I sin. We sin. I spend too much money on Christmas presents. I spend more time watching Christmas movies than reading the gospel accounts of the Lord's birth. I get pulled into the emotionalism, the feelings, the nostalgia that this world sugarcoats this season with. I want to capture that Christmas joy that you see on television, on the Hallmark Channel especially, at this time of year. Uh, I want to capture that joy that we read about, that we see. I want to capture that joy that we experienced as a child. Uh, I remember a Christmas that my dad drew uh, sleigh uh, marks on the roof of the house. We had a two-story house, too. I don't know how he did it. And he put hoof prints all around it. Uh, I thought it was so cool. If, if you're like me, I want to feel Christmas. 
Ask me, ask most people, what a memorable Christmas is. And I'll end up talking about the midnight sleigh ride that we took in northern Minnesota along the border of Canada on a crater lake at midnight where we're covered with these heated blankets and these uh, horse-drawn sleigh. It was all candle or candle lantern lit midnight, about 800 degrees below zero. It was beautiful. It was an amazing experience. Uh, I'll end up talking about the time my dad hid all my Christmas presents and left me a note telling me I was bad. That's a true story. <laughs> There's probably a few of you in here that believe that. So. Uh, or the time we surprised the kids with a trip to Disney on Christmas morning. And when they found out we weren't leaving to August, um, the look of disgust and disappointment in their eyes was, let's just say, don't do that. That was a bad idea. Uh, they're like, we're going to Disney. I'm like, uh, like no, not right now. <laughs> in about eight months. <laughs> Uh, you could see hurt and betrayal and the plotting in, in their eyes. Uh, I might even tell you about helping families with food and presents and at Christmas time and about the joy and the feelings that that brings. Nothing's wrong with creating fun memories and doing these, these things and doing good things. But if you notice something, celebrating our Savior's birth, becoming flesh, arriving to save mankind... That wasn't first on my list. Christmas has become for me, and I believe for many, too much about White Christmas, or It's a Wonderful Life, or my favorite movie, Jingle All the Way, or Die Hard, another great Christmas movie. And too little about the advent of God made flesh. Christmas has become about big meals with family and friends rather than the Lord's table. Don't get me wrong. We read the Christmas story on Christmas. Uh, We attend the Christmas Eve service. Uh, We look forward to the live nativity scenes that churches do and the, uh, the, the things that go on. But I have to ask myself, and I believe you do too, how do I keep Christ in Christmas? Is it by protesting the actions of a world that does not love or serve Christ or ignoring it altogether and not celebrating it because the world has made it materialistic? How can we keep Christ in Christmas? That's that's the question we need to ask ourselves this morning. I believe we can do it. I believe we can do it if we meditate on the birth, the incarnation and the life of Jesus Christ. And then do something about those meditations. In other words, apply that meditation to our evangelism. Now I know meditation, ooh, we said meditation, that's a bad word, you know. Um, It's funny how the world has changed the meaning of definitions, especially biblical definitions. Meditation is a very different definition in the world than it does in the Bible. New Age practices like yoga and centering are what most people think of when they hear meditation. Uh, The world says meditation is the act of emptying your mind, uh, either as a stress reliever or to channel in some new previously, you know, 
undiscovered truth. But biblical meditation, that's very opposite. In fact, it's directly opposite of that. Biblical meditation focuses on filling your mind with the Word of God. Uh, if you open up to Joshua 1.8, or just write it down, I'm going to read it here. It says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate it on day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your, pros- your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. And Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and, his, and on his law he meditates day and night. Reading, contemplating, dwelling on God's word and his character is what biblical meditation means. So if we focus on the Bible, if we focus on God's ways, it'll help us in our walk. It'll help us in our walk with Christ. It will help us to keep Christ central in our lives, which will help us keep Christ in Christmas. I want to make an observation here. We all meditate. We all meditate on things and may not even realize it. Uh, I have Christian friends that can quote sports stats from the last 50 years. But they can't quote 10 scriptures. I have more useless TV trivia in my head from years of watching MASH and Star Trek and Happy Days and any TV show from the 80s than I have scripture. That's sad. It's about priority. We can do this. The problem is, most of the time we don't want to, myself included. If we want Christ to be center of Christmas, if we want to keep Christ in Christmas, we need to focus, we need to meditate on him and not on the things of the world as much. Like the Christmas movies and television and the white Christmases. Thomas Watson, he's a preacher and an author from the 1600s. He had a quote. He said this, A Christian without meditation is like a soldier without arms or a workman without tools. Without meditation, the truth of God will not stay with us. Such a true statement. And you don't have to be a theologian to do this. This morning we're going to look at 1 Timothy 3, 14 through 16, if you want to open there. I'm going to focus on the latter, on on 16 for most of this, uh, which is a hymn. So starting in 14, Paul's writing to Timothy at the church in Ephesus. He says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God and a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, Seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Have you ever got a phone call 
and you're five minutes or an hour into the phone call, and finally the person says, well, the reason I'm calling, I find it funny that we're into the third chapter of Timothy, and, and this is where Paul decides to tell him why I'm writing this letter. Uh, Timothy's the pastor of the church in Ephesus. The church is the one that pretty much established most of the other churches in Asia Minor. And Paul is writing this letter about life and conduct in the church. And then he adds at the end, he adds this hymn. Uh, and that's what I want to really look at. He adds, great indeed we confess is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. And we're going to read this verse probably ten times before we get out. You're, it's going to be hopefully emblazed in your head because we're going to meditate on it. We're going to repeat it. But I'm going to, I want to explain some things as we go along. In the New Testament, mystery doesn't mean exactly what we mean by it. Here's another word that's been changed. When I think of mystery, what do you, what do you think of? But I think of Velma, Fred, Daphne, Scooby-Doo, when I think of mystery. Uh, solving something that's elusive, you know, baffling, something that's baffling, plaguing a group of people, probably near a lighthouse. Every episode of Scooby-Doo. But mystery in the New Testament refers to something which was hidden, but now has been made visible and revealed. So we have to ha ask ourselves, what is this mystery of godliness that this verse starts with? The mystery of godliness or godlikeness is this. There is now revealed one who is godly. And who is that? Well, the, this hymn, this section of scripture goes on. He is described in this hymn. He was revealed in the flesh, was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Who is that? It's Jesus Christ. The reason for Christmas. So manifested in the flesh. He was manifested, revealed in the flesh. The incarnation, which is what we celebrate at Christmas time, do we not? Emmanuel, God with us. The birth of Jesus, God in the flesh. Note, he doesn't say he was created in the flesh. What does he say? He was manifested in the flesh to make visible, which affirms that he was, always is, in existence, but invisible. Colossians 1.15 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He's the eternal, invisible God, became man for the purpose of dying in our place, paying in full that penalty for all who will believe the gospel. And then this goes on, and it says, he was revealed in the flesh. Next, he says, was vindicated in the spirit. Romans 1.14, or excuse me, Romans 1.4 says, was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. You know, as he hung on the cross, it seemed like none of this was true. If, if you looked at what was going on, 
but Easter Sunday morning, that event which the Spirit raised Christ from the dead, that changed everything. He was vindicated. Three, that three days later, when the tomb was opened, when the stone was rolled away, he was proved right. Everything was proved right. He was vindicated by the Spirit when that stone rolled away and the tomb was empty and he was raised from the dead. And then it goes on and it says, he, he was revealed in the flesh, was vindicated in the Spirit, seen by angels. Christ was seen by angels. They were at his birth, were they not? They were hanging out on the hillsides announcing uh, his arrival. Angels ministered to him during his temptation. They witnessed his ministry. They greeted him in glory, sat at the empty tomb. One even rolled the stone away. Christ was seen by angels. And then it moves on and it says, He was revealed in the flesh, was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, and believed on in the world. At the time of the crucifixion, it was, it was a dark time for the apostles. They were sad, they were weak. Everything that they had been following with Christ seemed like it had just been taken away from them, like it all was false and not true. They were unfaithful, they were helpless. They were left with doubts. But soon after that, they became powerful preachers. What changed? What transformed them? The resurrection. When they saw he was alive, they believed. When they gathered with him on the mount and he gave them the great commission, what did they do? They went out, not weak, not helpless, not doubting, not powerful, not fearful. They went out and preached. They were, went out strong and bold and they preached the gospel to their death. Christmas, the arrival of a Savior, that message should spur us on to do missions, to do evangelism. It should encourage us and lead us to proclaim Christ among the nations. It's sad I hear more about Santa and Rudolph and Frosty at this time of year than I do about Christ. I flipped on the Christian radio the other day, and I don't normally listen to the radio stations. I normally listen to a playlist I have, and they were playing all Christmas music. I like to listen to Christmas music. I do listen to that a lot, but I couldn't believe that here's a Christian radio station, and they were playing White Christmas. They were playing the next four or five songs. Not one of them mentioned Christ, which probably isn't much different than the Christian radio anyways, but I just had a hard time thinking, why are you playing it's the soundtrack from It's a Wonderful Life and not playing these great theological Christmas hymns and, and the one, like the ones we sang this morning. There's so many of them they could play. Um, I believe we've failed in our mission. I believe we've failed in keeping Christ in Christmas. 
Christmas is usually this time of year where everyone comes home. Uh, this year might be a little different, though, right? Because of COVID, what's going on? Uh, but that doesn't have to stop us from sharing the gospel, from sharing the message. We have cell phones, we have emails, we have cards, we have tracks, we have Zoom meetings, we have FaceTime, Facebook, Twitter, videos. We have all sorts of tools and resources at our disposal, all sorts of ways that we can share this gospel message to those who don't know him. I had a friend tell me the other day that uh, he had a great idea, and he, he has this thought every time he leaves the house of one less. And I'm like, what do you mean one less? And he, go, he said he takes gospel tracts, puts it in his pocket, and his goal that day is to come home with one less. And he says it makes it easier for him to do that to, instead of thinking about the stacks and all the stuff that he has to do. If he could just come home with one less, he's accomplished part of that mission. The result of this preaching we pray, is for Christ to be believed, right? At some point in your life, you hear this story that we've just confessed, that, that we talked about, and God moved on you. For me, it was uh, the summer I graduated from high school, 1989. And I will never forget when I came here the first time, the look on April's face and Kathy's face, when they saw me because they knew me prior to salvation. Uh, what a miracle salvation is, and they can attest to that. Uh, the message that we preach, the gospel, people are still believing it. 2,000 years later, and it's still being proclaimed, and still, people are still being added. And more will as we proclaim this gospel to this nation. This story is not a myth. It's not some holiday Jargon, some sentimental feeling, warm and fuzzy. It's a true story about a Savior that came from heaven, born of a virgin, and then gave up his life to pay the penalty for our sins. So we move on, and he says at the end here, he was revealed in the flesh, he was vindicated in the spirit, he was seen, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, Taken up in glory. Taken up in glory. That's the testimony of the Father who took him to glory and sat him at his right hand. Philippians 2.9 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. And Romans 8.34 says, Who is at the right hand of God who indeed is interceding for us? He was revealed in the flesh, vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. That's the message we need to proclaim this Christmas season. This is the truth. This is the confession that the church needs to hold up. That we as believers confess that this is how we keep Christ in Christmas, by remembering him, talking about him, meditating upon him, and evangelizing to those who don't know him. We know Christ, we know Christmas is more than gifts, right? It's more than decorations and pretty lights. 
It's about the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. The event that made it possible for us to be reconciled with God. Are you reconciled with him today, this morning? You know, everyone will stand before God to give an account for their life. Because God is good, he's going to judge us. He will judge us according to his law. If you've broken his law, if you've broken God's law, he'll find you guilty and he'll punish you for your sin. And that consequence will be eternity in hell. Listen, I could have shared some message about some warm and fuzzy Christmas feeling, you know, how we should all do good things and go down work at the soup kitchen and uh, buy presents. And I could have, for people that are, don't have enough this Christmas. But what message, what gift is more important than the gift of salvation? I think we need to be prepared. We need to know this gospel. If you've broken God's law, and if he's going to punish you for your sin, that consequence is eternity in hell. But God doesn't want that, does he? He doesn't want that for his people. That's why Jesus Christ came. That's why the virgin birth happened. That's why Christ hung on the cross and shed his innocent blood. He took our punishment upon himself, the punishment that we rightly deserve. He took that. He took our sins that we did against God, and he paid that penalty. And then three days later, he forever defeated sin and death when he rose from the grave, when he was vindicated by the Spirit. Our only hope, your only hope, is to turn from sin and turn towards God. And by faith alone receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The best Christmas present today the best Christmas present that anybody could ever give, the Christmas present that I would want is forgiveness and eternal life. And I encourage you and I plead with you, if you don't know Christ today, don't wait any longer. You may not have it. You may not wake up tomorrow. So the message I have for you this evening or this morning is repent and believe the gospel today. If you bow your heads. Father, we thank you for the gift of your son. My prayer today, Lord, is that those who do not know you would surrender their lives and accept this gift of Jesus that you have so graciously given us. And for those to, to know him as Savior. Lord, help us to keep Christ central in our lives. Help us to keep Christ in Christmas this season. Help us to keep Christ always. Father, we thank you for your word. And we ask that 
you would convict us and guide us this week. In your name we pray. Amen.